0: Welcome to another episode of the China FlexPad podcast. I'm Francis and I'm German and we Germans like engineering. So today we talk about engineering in China, from China to the world. And Bruno is a real expert in this area. And we enjoy this conversation and this discussion about engineering trends, R&D development and international strategies coming from China to the world. Welcome Bruno.
1: My name is Bruno. I'm the managing director of Civico China. It's a company I founded in 2004. We help our clients. Typically they are infrastructure projects, uh, also sometimes manufacturing plants. We help them to improve their maintenance using better words to optimize the life cycle of their assets to control their industrial risks and to ensure regulatory compliance. Uh, my business covers uh, China, obviously, but also Asia as a whole. And we are active on the, on the Belt and Road with projects as far as uh, Algeria, Egypt, Brazil, Papua New Guinea. I came to China in 1999. So at the time I was working for a Swedish company in Singapore. They sent me to Shanghai to develop their infrastructure business. Um, Mostly I worked on large power generation projects, power plants at that time. I ran the the China uh, operation and the Asia infrastructure division of that company until I decided to set up my own business in 2004. So this is the Civico China business I'm, I'm in today.
0: Hello, Bruno. Welcome to the China FlexFed podcast. It's so great to have such an expert here. We say Lao tzu in Chinese, right? So I really like to have you on the show with your experience and going back so many years. Why do your customers work with your firm? And what are the typical challenges that you can support with?
1: in the field of, of maintenance or industrial risk management in, in China the main challenge i would say is the need for methodologies from top management to field workers uh, operators to ensure compliance how do you know that inspections have actually been done that paper checklist says you know everything is okay but how do you know for sure how do you know that preventive maintenance uh, according to the plan has been has been done as it should how do you collect information about failures, incidents, their impact, their cause? How do you ensure they are, they are systematically analyzed for improvement purposes? And that, that requires methodologies. How can workers uh, doing troubleshooting follow the, the right steps in uh, identifying the, the problem to prevent the same failure from, from re- reoccurring? Uh, how also at the management level, how can a manager make a decision between, let's say, replacing a piece of equipment or, or trying to extend its life, and what will be, uh, what are, the, what is the cost and what is the risk? So we help answer these kind of questions and bring a, a structure, a methodology to our clients. Where this is typically the main, the main challenge that they face. At the same time, I think we have all seen in China in the past few years the, the, the regulatory push from the government on environmental compliance and safety. And this has helped us a lot with these with this topics I just described. I've had a chance to observe this trend, this regulatory trend from the start. And as, we, as I work primarily with energy and environmental infrastructures, they, they were the first in line and they were under government scrutiny long before the manufacturers so i would say thanks to this experience we are we are now able to help manufacturing plants who face similar pressure as infrastructure projects you know 15 years ago
0: so how do these customers how do they perceive your services and how do they work with methodologies and how do they teach this to their staff
1: over the many years we've developed developed our own working model we've developed a a kind of implementation methodology Customers tend to appreciate our, our expertise and our, you know, our domain knowledge in, you know, maintenance expertise. Actually, in China, is still a, it's a little bit rare in, in, in a way. Uh, so they appreciate the expertise, but we always have to struggle maybe uh, between the tech side of our business, the, the digital solutions, and and the consulting side. And for for me, one doesn't work without the other. Um, it's 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 really like I call it a working model. Uh, that combines both, but, but sometimes customers, they, they forget that our mo- working model is also a, a kind of weakness because it's a bit complex to explain and, and customers want e- easier solutions that, that do not exist. Experience proof, we keep growing. Our client base is, is growing. Uh, the more reference we have, the more, the more convincing we are, to, we are to, 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 to our
0: clients. I now work for a Chinese company and you work with state owned enterprises. So what is special about them? Ever since I came to China, I've always met
1: foreigners who, who were, who were surprised that I would work on, on, on local projects, you know. Uh, sometimes people telling me, let's say how, how inefficient and how, how corrupt those SOEs were compared to multinationals. And so I was listening to the, these foreigners, beautiful stories about working with multinationals. So, but I don't think the picture is so, is so clear cut between uh, SOEs and the, the, the kind of perception that foreigners have or maybe had of, of SOEs. To be very frank, corruption was often, uh, given as an example of, I think corruption has long been a huge problem for multinationals that, that multinationals were just ignoring China, you know, hidden behind their whatever chart of, of ethics, you know, while SOEs were actually running personal audits of their staff and, and throwing people in jail. Well, not, not the SOE throwing people in jail, but the government putting people in jail, you know, 20 years ago already. So they were, SOEs actually being very serious about, uh, how the purchasing process was was working. So this is one one thing that I've, I've always well that I was always remember and it's actually as yes, SOEs in many ways are 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 running well in terms of the execution process as well. You know making making decisions. My experience is SOEs the SOEs I'm talking about the infrastructures, not 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 some manufacturing SOEs, but mostly big infrastructure projects. They, they are about as efficient. As multinationals in terms of making decisions, which you could argue is maybe, maybe it's not, not very efficient, but it's about as, they are about as, as good and as efficient. So, and I would say SOEs tend to pay faster than, than multinationals. So I think the picture is not what people imagine. And for me, working with SOEs is not a challenge. It's just the normal thing to do.
0: And would you say they can work with your methodologies um, as a phone, as a FlexPad? Is there something about your methodology which is difficult for these SOEs to apply?
1: What's special about SOEs, in, in fact, in again, I work mostly with energy, environmental, a little bit with infrastructure, uh, transportation infrastructures. They, You know, they are characterized by uh, scale, large scale, fast growth, actually. But if I look at the past 20 years, uh, very fast and, and huge growth. They have to adapt to new regulations. They have been, you know, subject to very, very uh, huge regulatory change and actually major market changes over, over the past 20 years. And they have always wanted to digitalize the, their business. And that has been a trend uh, in infrastructure projects that I've seen ever since I arrived in China, so 20, 20 years ago, 20, 22 years ago. And they can actually afford it. They have money and they have things. what I'm saying is they have, the, they have the incentive from the government and they have they have money. To invest in this, but they lack experience. Um, and this is, I think this is what you were saying. Uh, at the same time, they have a mix of very, 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 very talented people at, at the top, I would say, and then maybe a mixed crowd of, uh, at the working levels due to, to the history of their companies, but maybe that's not so different from multinationals. SOEs are actually a good material for, for such projects and, and especially that they are, they face pressure and they have incentives actually uh, carry out such projects successfully.
0: If we go one step further, Belt and Road, what's your experience with this and what's the role of SOEs and also your company and Belt and Road projects?
1: Very early uh, for us, we aimed at developing a Belt and Road business. At the time, it was not called Belt and Road. In in 2004 already, so I I started, I, I set up this company in 2004, but in 2004 already, we we bid i remember we, we bid for a large um, uh, railway project in in iran it It took us a few a few more years to actually win deals and we we got into projects in um first in Malaysia and then in Indonesia with uh, with power plants built by uh, Chinese construction companies chinese ePCs and and then we really started to develop a, a significant overseas business. So it's about 50% of our, of our revenue, mostly uh, power, environmental projects, um, a few metro projects, a few industrial sites as well, but this is, this is a minority. We, we are quite unique in this um, this category, if, if, there is a, if, if this is a category, as, as a company that can help Chinese builders, so they are all state-owned enterprises that, that build such infrastructure projects. So we we're able to help them anywhere in the world and somehow to help their clients as well. So it's it's a three-way relationship. Recently we did projects in uh, Algeria with uh, with power plants, uh, gas turbine power plants. We actually got uh, a t- total of nine projects there but on uh, last year on a hydro power plant project in uh, Papua New Guinea. We work with State Grid in Brazil. State Grid is a huge investor in Brazil. And there's also a lot of uh, um, hydropower projects developed in Brazil by, by by Chinese companies. So we are involved in those projects and, and many more. It's um, always great fun. I mean, it took it took a long time to actually successfully develop such business. I said I started in 2004. It took many years to get a deal, but today it's 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 working well as a business. It's of course it's a lot of fun, and I think generally my team members are quite excited about these projects. We get to travel. Uh we travel a little bit less in the last two years. And we do something that maybe no 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 other company is doing for, from China. So this is quite this is a very exciting part of, of our business, I would say.
0: It seems that you um help or you join Chinese companies, Chinese SOEs in these really big endeavors, and these all start with R&D, research and development processes. How are they different in China from international R&D processes? And how do you deal with copyright infringements?
1: We started to develop software here on an R&D scale, I mean on a proper scale, In, in uh, I don't mean just more stuff, in, in 2009. Uh, when we set up our Blue Bee Lab, that's how we call our R&D Center in Shanghai because Blue Bee is the name of our main, our main product. So we have, we have accumulated some experience. We've enjoyed nice, nice government incentives over the years. Um, and I've developed several generations of our, our Blue Bee products, which is a, a software solution for inspections, risk management. Or you could say it's a, it's a digital twin for maintenance. We have accumulated quite a lot of experience here and, and we face a lot of, a lot of challenges, obviously, and obstacles. And, uh, I have partners in Europe. I have, uh, software partners in Europe and so sometimes we, we use their software. I would say, so I see the R&D from, from the outside as a, as a client. I, I would say we are less here in China. We are less risk adverse. I mean, we are more likely to invest ahead of time in uh, in new technologies in new ideas well, sometimes we invest too much too early in the end it turns out to be an advantage okay but but sometimes we are not maybe efficient in the way we we develop our our, our products maybe we thought we had a good idea we spent too much money on it it turned out it is something we cannot sell this has has happened so it's it's both a strength and a weakness it for us, it turns out to be a strength because now we are known as a very uh, very innovative company, and uh, this having this this technology that we developed very early could give us a significant advantage you mentioned copyright infringement uh, well the, you know direct copyright infringement we have not we say we have not faced that but more more generally. Unethical behavior from competitors that, that, that includes, uh, from the product point of view, but also, also brands and so on. Over the years, I think we have counted over 12 plus copycats, I call them. Most of them disappeared, but you might be surprised to hear that about half of them involved actually a foreign company or, or a foreigner. Maybe working for a Chinese company, so so this is not a uniquely Chinese problem. Uh, um, I don't know if it's a problem of the Chinese technology ecosystem, but but it's not it's not it's not a Chinese uh, um, behavior, I I would say. So what kind of, well, I say an ethical behavior which may not be copyright infringement. We had, I mean, we had people pretending to be us. We had people telling clients that that Civico was going bankrupt, that uh, Bruno had to take a part-time job. We had former staff dealing, we had some junior staff who left the company at some point, and they they took away our customer database. They took some design IDs, and they tried to set up their own company. Most recently, we had a big U.S. firm. Uh, It's a a big U.S. automation firm. We found that they have been using our company name as as a meta tag you know, on their website to attract attract uh, traffic to their website using our company name, which is illegal in, in China. You know, you can maybe you can hear. And I'm, I'm quite proud of running my own business. And we, I think we, we contribute, you know, you know, in a positive way to society. Because for us, I mean, we, we help infrastructures run, run smoother and safer. Also, I think we we take. I try to take good care of our of our employees in in a crisis and even even not in a crisis. We enjoy what we do and I, sometimes I wonder how, how, how this kind of company actually, you know, how they live, how they, how they enjoy their life. But you know, in the end, business wise, it's not really a problem. We don't really compete much with such companies. I think they mostly focus on price. They probably get a couple of deals with their friends. We, we seldom face the same copycat more than once, uh, uh, whether you're trying to have a, a kind of head start by, by by copying another company, which I think in in, in many cases is, is detrimental, is not is not a head start. But in any case, uh, this kind of business is not easy to run.
0: And who are your typical contacts at your customers? Are they Chinese professionals, or do you also work with expats or flexpats, like you know the term we are talking about in this podcast here?
1: Uh, obviously, when we work with SOEs, we only deal with Chinese people. Actually, an interesting exception is when uh, when Chinese construction firms, engineering firms, uh, bid for projects overseas. Uh, they sometimes have a few foreigners on st- on their staff, as in China, as like uh, you know, proposal engineers. You know, this, this type of profile. Uh, even in very large SOEs, our main contacts are top. Uh, very, very top managers, uh, C level, uh, sometimes even the chairman of the company, or, or, or sometimes ju- just below C level, um, a technical director, China wise, China wide technical director, or very large project uh, uh, the director. So actually, it's fa- fairly large level. Our projects are quite strategic for clients, uh, and due to the the complex package that combines uh, consulting and, and software, we have to sell it at, at a very high level. I mentioned we work with the MNCs as well. It's maybe it's around 20% of our business. With MNCs is the same we work we work with the top managers still often it's a foreigner. Um so mostly a type of of expats. Now MNCs have localized their, their management uh, a lot in the past few years. Maybe while we hear a lot with the current uh, uh, COVID-19 situation, it, is, it, it quickens the, the localization of companies. I have to say that localized, fully localized multinationals, they tend to be less interested in what we do, uh, which is um, it's a paradox. I, I think as most of our business is indeed with Chinese companies, SOEs, and, and sometimes we have a, a more difficult time to convince a local GM of a multinational. They, they maybe they see us more as a, as, a, as a foreigner, although we are actually a very very local company. So I, I, this phenomenon is a little bit complicated to to explain. But anyway, I think the localization trend will will uh, will will continue ob- obviously. But we are trying to actually refocusing on on the on the automotive industry, and uh, when in particular, we are looking at the at, uh, the EV uh, um, market because obviously this is this is growing, and maybe their their supplier base is is but maybe maybe they are open to new new suppliers because it's kind of a new a new market.
0: Yes, I think I think the main change that I see in the automotive industry is that in the past, uh, multinationals, they would build the first product generation in their home market and then the second one in production locations such as Eastern Europe or Mexico and the third one in China, multinationals. But now they build the first machine in China, the first generation in China, Sometimes they even develop the product in China. And this gives you a great chance. And this is our chance because we talk to these international um, companies and their Chinese subsidiaries in Chinese, right? So we talk to the Chinese top management in China and they want to show the headquarters that they have grown up, that they are able to develop a product in China and build the prototype in China, sell the product in China and build it on a kind of industrial way in China. And the only thing they need from headquarters is the brand. So they only want to call themselves the international brand so that it helps their marketing. But they don't need R&D. They don't need machines. They don't need technology. And this is a fantastic opportunity for FlexPets to really find their space in China and to add value to this change from technology transfer to innovation. And I know it's really tiring. I'm German, and I know many of our customers have their headquarters in Germany. And I talk to these um, decision makers, and for them, it's really difficult to accept that these Chinese decision makers just don't... They, they, They are not listening to them anymore. So they do their own strategy. And this is your chance and this is our chance. And what I told myself, is a bit difficult situation that I say, let's focus on our strengths. So if we try to sell a Chinese-made machine to Germany, we will be faced with lots of competition. But if we sell this machine to an international company in China who is h- having the highest Expectations and is using SAP and so on. Then we have a real chance to show that we can build this product. In your case, the software locally with local R and D processes. So quicker and more reliable and better service. And then we can just compare the two options standards that have been developed over years not just months and this is something where i spend a lot of my time on to improve this way that our company works so i'm sure there there's ways that we can collaborate
1: yeah thanks and you you're totally right i think what you describe and to find the right niche and to to position yourself uh, in the right niche as you described uh uh in, in the automotive industry probably as i try to describe for me in the infrastructure industry uh, is the way I mean is the is the way to go and be and be successful. You know, in terms of uh, flex flexpad opportunities, I mentioned that I I see opportunities with with big Chinese state-owned companies when they build projects ab- abroad. I think finding a good maintenance manager is is a major challenge. It's related to the the methodology, the lack of methodology that I mentioned. So the the, um, the maintenance manager position in in, a, in an industrial company. Uh, a foreign company in China or a local company is, is the same. It's it's a very hard position to, to 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 fill, and you know you need someone who can command his his team, who can command a team of of technicians, who have a little bit of seniority or, or credibility with them, someone who can deal with technical issues, and someone who can understand the impact of of maintenance. So it's, it's you no, know, it's not just a technical position. You need to understand what 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 how what you do. Uh, impacts production, business, you know, profits, safety, environment. I mentioned how, how the, the regulatory aspects have become so important in China. So this, this makes this position very hard to, to, to fill. And either you find very, very technical people or senior technical people who actually don't, don't really see the full picture and maybe they lack of, of a good, um, good methodology. And it's hard for them to learn this because they're already getting a little bit old, maybe. Or you find young, young people who have a good brain, but they, they, don't, they know nothing. So this, I actually see, is a good position for, a, you know, a flex path. Uh, but you need probably a good command of Chinese uh, or, or, let's say, good, good communication skills. It's not necessarily just, just Chinese level, but you, you need to have a way to, to talk to people and to get, to get yourself understand. But I, I really think there's a need for such, for such people in the industry.
0: How about yourself? How can you speak Chinese, and how do you deal with these contexts you just described?
1: My my Chinese language skills, depending on who you ask, range from uh, quite poor to uh, to actually good enough. We had a management retreat uh, outside of the city for the, for the weekend, and I was we we ended up in a place where they had they had uh, children books. In that residence we were staying with, uh, for, for the retreat. So I was, I was actually, I found a, ch- a children book on Afanti, the Arabic hero Afanti. I can read this kind of book, you know, that, that's how good my Chinese is. So my reading ability is extremely poor. Another aspect apart from pure language skills is, um I don't know if you would call it communication skills. I don't know the, the proper, the proper word for it, but you know, the ability to understand. Uh, or maybe to feel what's, what's going on around you and maybe the ability to, to live happily with, with the locals or, you know, at, at, at work and in, in the daily life, my ability to live happily in a, in a Chinese environment, is, this is, this one is probably very high.
0: I like the way you describe this. How? can you learn this to live in China, live a happy life with your Chinese environment? I guess you also have a Chinese family, right? So how does your Chinese surrounding accept you as a flex pet, as a foreigner in China for many, many, many years? And what kind of friends do you spend time with and how do they help you to to integrate here and to get this cultural integrity that you just described?
1: I think I've always been welcome here and I've always felt welcome. Today I'm a kind of, what ought to say, a successful businessman. Uh, this, this is usually well, well received by, by people in China, you know, I mean, customers and maybe business partners. Uh, I mean, I don't run a huge business, but I think we, we're still number one in our field and I've been, my, my, my longevity in this tough market gets me a lot, a lot of credit, I think. Uh, uh, so this, this makes it easier. I mean, and also I don't have to struggle with, with, with money, let's say. So it it's, it makes life a little bit easier. And you ask about friends. I mean, I have, I have, I have local friends. I have, I have mostly lo- local friends, I think. And, uh, quite often these are people I met for work. Um, uh, you know, previous work and current work and projects. Um, so that's how I, I made friends, I think. Uh, And I generally, I'm quite busy with my work. So when it comes to my family life or, I mean, life outside of work, I I like to stay home. I don't really go out to make friends. Uh, that is kind of the life I I live in. So I'm overall, I think I'm in a, I'm in a very, uh, I'm in a very Chinese environment, but most of my, my life, you could say is, is, I suppose, kind of driven or, or or shaped by my work. Adventure as I called it.
0: The combination of the Chinese skills and the cultural integration that you just described with your work, being a successful entrepreneur and your family and the way you work in English and Chinese and you can read a bit and you can talk and you can communicate. You get around and then you have the longevity. I really like this term because this shows what the whole Flexpad podcast should be about. We want to show um, people who really like China really enjoy living in China. We try to give them advice how they can further develop their career in China in this very difficult but also challenging surrounding. What about yourself? How do you see your further career development in the next ten years?
1: Next ten years it's one my current priority for me for my role is 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 to continue to grow our business or overseas the bed and Road business uh, and and more directly in certain target countries trying to set up new partnerships. We just set up a, a partner in, in Indonesia, for example, um, and of course, relying on our, on our strong Chinese team. But but, you know, to, to more aggressively uh, uh, go overseas and, and to continue to grow. That's what I see as my role. Maybe not for next 10 years. Uh, it's quite long, but in the coming years. And we are looking for acquisitions in China and abroad. So obviously, I'm taking a, a a key role in that kind of of decision or process in in the company. It's my job. So I, our market potential is quite large. So I'm I'm trying to go and and really extend the, the the you could say extend the size of the company again in this in this in this new new markets. I think I see. I I can imagine I'll be uh, I'll still be running the business or maybe uh, trying to set up other another business somewhere else. Or a branch of that business, and and uh, and well, and, and continue to to do what I what I enjoy to do. You know, before China, I was in Singapore. Before Singapore, I was in Sweden. I've been away since um, 1994.
0: So uh, let me count. That is 28 years, correct? Yeah. If you, Bruno, if you look back on this time, what are you really glad? What you really thankful for? What did you enjoy most about these 20 28 years as a flex pet?
1: I enjoyed, uh, spending time with, with people around me. You know, in the end, in the end, it's about people, whatever you do. So I'm, I'm most, uh, thankful of the, the people who work with me, uh, who, who live with me and often, you know, both, uh, the, the, and those who stayed with me o- over the years, you know, like in, in the company, my, my, my vice president, uh, Paul is, has worked with me for, for more than 20 years. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful of that. And, uh, and uh, most of our, our directors in the company, uh, in Civeco have been with me, uh, I think be- between 10 to 15 years, uh, maybe some, some of them a little bit more. I mean, in the end, I think I'm, I, I, I enjoy this and I'm, I'm, I mean, and also all the other people we, we met, of course, but I I enjoy meeting people and, and I, I'm thankful to the people who, you know, who, who enjoy being with me and who keep working with me and living with me over the years and, We've traveled together on many adventures and, you know, many unknown roads in China and and the Belt and Road. And that's, that's, it's really a lot of fun. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it 20 years ago. I still enjoy it today. Uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to all, to all these people.
0: I really like this that you say it's all about the people. And again, this is what the FlexPath podcast is about to, to help professionals to engage in China, given your really positive situation. Uh, you know, you have a good business, you have money, you have a, a family, you, people respect you. What are you afraid of and how do you cope with your fears?
1: Well, you know, I have, I have a good business, I have money, I have a family and everything. You're, you're right. I mean, there are, they are ups, ups and downs in in life. I try to have a positive outlook. I don't like what I cannot control uh, but you know I'm an entrepreneur I've been running my business and before that I I managed a department in a company I I like to be in, I'm used to be in control in in uh, to some extent in, in in of my business and I I I'm disturbed when I feel I'm 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 losing control we talked earlier about the these these copycats and this an ethical uh, uh competitors for example this is something you cannot control you know these people come and they, they they run this kind of this kind of business and sometimes they come across your 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 path and these kind of things get gets me you know annoyed or, or un- uncomfortable i'm uncomfortable with un- unethical behavior uh uh and, and i have no control over it so anyway you need to move on and you do, do your own things and let these people or, or let their company die you know uh, in the end, I don't, I don't want to deal. I, I don't have time to deal with with bad people, so I'm, I'm I move on and do do other things.
0: Who should listen to this podcast episode?
1: Young people that that actually want to come to China, maybe elsewhere in the world actually, and 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 do things. And well, I think they're probably they probably want to hear this kind of story. Uh, And I think nowadays they might hear, I know they hear that China is difficult to enter, that they they hear that China is not welcoming foreigners anymore, and they they see all these bad news on TV. What I have in mind is, frankly, back in 1999, the TV also had a lot of bad news about China, and there were were much less foreigners here. I mean, there were less foreigners, I mean, 20 years ago, there were much less foreigners here, and there were less job opportunities for foreigners. Salaries were much lower. The local salary, so it, it 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 was very you were very uncompetitive as a foreigner in terms of of your of your cost, which is, so this is and I I made it then I you know I, I could make it happen and a lot of foreigners actually made it uh, uh, twenty years ago and i even set up a company in 2004 you know where at that time you know it was difficult to set up a company you know not so many people did it there, there was a, there were lots of obstacles now it's so easy to actually set up a business so i actually think contrary to what you hear people say it's I cannot say it's easier today. Don't be afraid. I think this is, uh, there are lots of opportunities here and probably in other countries as, as well. If I, you know, if I made it, probably a a lot of other, other, other people can also, can, can also make it. So don't, don't listen to all the bad news and the negative uh, feedback you hear uh if you want to come you know you can probably find a way and but you have to build it you cannot just come and look for a job or you can some people do but visa wise it's a bit difficult maybe now but but what i did was you know gradually to build up some skills related to infrastructures because I thought there was a market for this in China, you know, and, and there was a logic in my, in the path I took. I went to Singapore first because I wanted to go to China and that was like an, an intermediary step. So you can, you can be, you can design a strategy and, and, you know, try to carry out the strategy to, to come, to come here. Now, in the end, it's just a story, you know, I think different, different people, of course, will have different face, different situations, see different opportunities. I have different skills, different background, that's okay. But for me, listening, for me personally, listening to a story, a different story could be inspiring, could give me ideas that I can apply on on my own. So I hope, I hope this can be the same in this case.
0: Bruno, if this is not enough, listening to this episode, would you be a mentor to Young Flex Pets?
1: But it's not so much I can do actually, apart from sharing some some story. So I, I hope maybe this type of, of podcast interview can you know can can achieve the same on on a maybe on a larger scale. I think if you want to reach out to someone and and you know just do it uh, with the right expectation and maybe one one expectation should be that maybe you don't get a response. Well, I don't mean from me, but generally, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, th- I think you should, you should definitely take, take steps to, to, and reach out to people that you think can, can maybe help or provide, uh, provide expertise or whatever. Please, please do it.
0: I hope that we can change somebody's career this way. We also need more speakers. And if you can recommend other speakers, please also do that. Or if you have an idea how you can support us, for example, giving us a five-star review on a podcast app, that would be also be really highly appreciated. So with this, Bruno, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the China FlexPad podcast and being part of the China FlexPad community. Please do us a favor and visit us on LinkedIn. Follow our LinkedIn channel. Tell your friends about this episode, especially your engineering friends who want to build their career internationally or in China. And whatever you do, please don't hesitate to reach out to Bruno or me And who knows how this can help your further career or the career of your friend.